Who's here this morning finds waiting hard? Oh, that's so funny. You're all so honest. I had this gag set up ready to go on. There's like four honest people who pray for the rest of you after the service. But uh, no, we've all admitted that waiting sometimes for us can be hard. And so today's message is going to be about waiting. And the one takeaway, the one thing that I want you to remember in your head is this. Wait on God's leading so you don't waste the season. It's the one takeaway, it's the bottom line of this message that I want you to remember. Wait on God's leading so you don't waste this season. Now, if you've had a big night and you're going to switch off in a second, you've got to catch up on some shut-eye. I I understand, I get it, but before you switch off, before you relax, just remember, wait on God's leading so that you don't waste this season. Now, for me, waiting is not something that's high on my list of strengths. I love to get stuff organised, I love to get stuff done, and once that's all set up and ready to go, we've got the goal, we've got the milestone, I just want to get it done, and I want to get it done now. I don't know if that sounds like any of you. And certainly, a recent season that we've all enjoyed and been through together is, is a season that has provided a wonderful environment or proving ground for my ability to wait, and it's the season of Christmas. Who loves Christmas? Any Love the Christmas habit. It's a wonderful season for many reasons, some obvious ones, but also because it tests my ability to wait. You see, I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting in lines at the shop, and the lines at the shop at Christmas time are very, very long. There's also the waiting that comes with getting all the loved ones together to organise what's going to be for Christmas lunch, and who's making it, and who's going to bring it at what time, and who gets to use the other. You know what I mean. There's waiting on kids. Who's got kids? Who is a kid? Mum and dad or your carer sometimes don't like waiting on you. There's waiting on them to get dressed, get ready to go out. There's lots of functions, there's lots of things happening at Christmas time that we wait on our kids. And then, I don't don't know about you, but a personal experience for me, sometimes we're then waiting for them to run back inside and grab their shoes because they said they were ready and we're already backing out of the driveway and wait, someone's forgot their shoes, we've got to run back upstairs and go inside. Lots and lots of waiting. But my favourite, my favourite one that really tests my ability to wait is uh, the gift giving time. When I eventually get the opportunity to give my lovely wife Beck a gift at Christmas. And she'll tell you, she's here, you can ask her. I've got to be really careful today for, for the first time in a little while when I'm preaching, my wife's actually present, so I need to make sure that I don't get myself in trouble. But you can ask her at Christmas time, the, the weeks leading up, I'm just so excited about giving her gifts that I start to drop clues and I ask her if she's figured out what it is. I just cannot wait to give her the gifts that I've bought for her. It's, uh, it would be as if I'm lining up for husband of the year. Now... You might be a little bit like me, you might not, but waiting might be something that's not necessarily your strong suit either. You might not like waiting in lines, you might not like queuing up for things, you might not like waiting on the phone for customer service. We all know that takes way longer than we ever think it will every single time we try. And just quietly, some of us may not even like waiting on God's leading. You might be the same as me at Christmas time with kids and with gifts and with people. But let's scratch below the surface a little bit. Let's start to dig a little bit deeper. You see, life as we live it happens in seasons. And in this season, 
you might be waiting for something to happen, something significant, something spiritual. You might be waiting on something to happen in your life in this season. It could simply be that friend that you fell out with ages ago and you're waiting for them to pick up the phone, finally, to try and reconcile or make amends. It could be that promotion that you're waiting on in your job or your career. You want that call-up. You want to know, you're excited about, you're really eager for what's coming next or what might be coming And you're waiting for that to happen this season. It could be that sickness that really needs to die, that really needs to cease, that you're waiting on. It could be that child that you're waiting on. It could be those thoughts or those regrets that cycle through your mind over and over and you are waiting for them to stop in this season. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this season in your life, you might be wondering, there's got to be more. You might be feeling a little bit lost. You might have a sense that something needs to shift, something needs to change, something's got to give. Otherwise, just maybe, this season could be a waste. You see, it turns out God knows a thing or two about waiting and about seasons. Across the sweep of scripture, there is more than a little bit of mentions of seasons and of waiting. You'll find themes of seasons and waiting through a lot of what you look at. And in one area in particular, you'll find waiting in the writings of the Psalms. They are rich with ideas, with verbiage, with things that give life and meaning to what it is to wait on God's leaving so you don't waste this season. And our main character of the passage that Jenny just read for us, I'm sorry, Jenny, I stitched you up with like all these Israelite names and like 13 verses of scripture, but it was wonderful. Thank you for sharing God's word with us this morning. It was David, who's the main character of that passage, who penned more than just a couple of these Psalms. And if you just rifle through them in your spare time, you'll hear phrases like, wait on the Lord. You'll hear things like, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And it's in the story of David being anointed as the future king of Israel that David shows us what it looks like to wait on God's leading so that you don't waste the season. As we heard, we meet David in a season where God has rejected the current king of Israel, Saul. Israel's had a few kings. None of them have worked out. And unfortunately, Saul's the same. He's doing a less than stellar job. And so Samuel, the prophet of the time, he gets called out of retirement. Hands up if you'd like to be called out of retirement. (laughs) Amen, Casey. I'll believe that with you, buddy. Saul gets called out of retirement and sent to Bethlehem to meet with Jesse and to anoint the next king of Israel because God has told him that the king that he has called out is there in Jesse's family in Bethlehem. And so um, Samuel heads along and he facilitates this meal, this sacrificial meal, this ceremony that uh, is all designed and prepared and ready to go to anoint this next king of Israel. And as the eldest son, Eliab, comes out and joins in this process, in this meal, Samuel thinks to himself straight away, he goes, this, this is the guy. Look at him. He's amazing. He has to be the next king of Israel. 
But slowly, as this meal goes on and they get through each and every son that's rolled out before Samuel, they're stuck there scratching their heads as Samuel has got a flat no for every single son that has come out to be discerned as the next king of Israel. And so we pick up in verse 11 from the passage. And so he, Samuel, that is, ask Jesse. Remember, they're scratching their heads and going, what's going on? None of these sons that you've brought before me are the next king. And so Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. Doesn't even say David's name. Just says he's the youngest. And he's tending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so Samuel shows us, like explicitly, obviously, right, it's sitting there right in the text, what it is to wait on God's leading. He's waiting, they're all standing. If you're a traffic controller or a retail worker or if you've done any sort of job or thing where you have to stand on your feet for more than 15 minutes, you might join me in hoping that David didn't take a very long time to come in from the field. But they waited. But imagine for a second that Samuel didn't wait on God's leading. Imagine if Azalea walked out and he just picked him. It's just like, first cab off the rank. I mean, that would make sense traditionally, right? He's the eldest son. He's got sophisticated looks. He's got the strength. He's got the stature. He's just the total package. This is the guy. He could be done. He could quit all the pomp and ceremony and he could just scurry on back to retired living. Be done with it. Things could work out okay for Israel if that's what happened. Israel could put along, make some incremental progress as a people, as a nation, maybe slowly take some, some, uh, some land and increase their boundaries. Things could go horribly wrong. They could be thwarted by their enemies. They could be overrun by their enemies and they could be blasted into oblivion, never to be seen as a, a people and a nation again. Who knows? In the context of this passage it was much closer to the latter than the former. But I think you have got an inkling of what would have happened if that was the case. If Samuel didn't wait for God's leading, then ultimately, if God is not waited on, the season gets wasted. And there's another prophet that gives us a bit of insight into maybe what it would have looked like if Samuel didn't wait on God's leading. This other prophet wasted a whole season. He didn't wait on God's leading at all. In fact, when God started to lead him and call him into what God wanted to do with him in his life, he turned around and he bolted as fast as he could in exactly the opposite direction. He was having none of it. What ended up happening? He got chucked around in the boat in really stormy seas. He got thrown overboard by his crewmates who wanted and needed to save their own lives. And then after that happened, he ends up being swallowed by a massive fish. Now, if you're under the age of 12, you probably already know what story I'm talking about. That's right, Elijah's got it. He knows that I'm talking about Jonah. Jonah, in his story, gives us a bit of insight into what things might have looked like if a prophet like Samuel decides not to wait on God's leading. Can you think of a time in your life where perhaps, just maybe, you didn't wait on God's leading. Maybe you took the easy option, maybe 
you picked whatever was most obvious, whatever most, most, made most sense to you. What did that look like? Maybe you were even disobedient. And maybe you just flat out rejected what God was leading you towards and went the other way like Jonah did. How did that work out for you? Thankfully, for us, thankfully, for Israelites, Samuel didn't make that choice. Samuel waited on God's leading. And so did David. David showed us what waiting on God's leading looked like as much by what he did not do as much, by as much as what he did. See, does it say that... Are these, does it say in the... Actually, it doesn't say it there, but does it, did it say in the story that... Uh, when Samuel came down and met with Jesse, did it say that David ran out from the field, ran up the hill, and was just like, wait, guys, stop. You don't need to muck around with all this ceremony and all this stuff that you're going to do. I know I'm God, man. I know I'm called. I'm the one. Let's just get it done. Pour that oil all over my head. It, it is what it is. I'm the man God's called. Did David do that? No. He didn't interrupt what was happening. But maybe let's think about it again. What would happen if he did? What would that look like to us? How would we receive that? Would we even believe him? There's another character much earlier in the narrative of scripture named Joseph. He was also a younger son like David. And he had a dream. God gave him a dream of what his future was going to look like and how God was going to use him in leadership to do mighty and wonderful and impactful things. And so Joseph thought it was a great idea to tell all of his older brothers what that dream was. Except for that wasn't a very good idea at all. As soon as Joseph told his brothers, his brothers got enraged. They got angry. They plotted to kill him. And they eventually sold him into slavery. And we thought as Australians that we invented tall poppy syndrome. There it is. If you're unfamiliar with Joseph's story, it starts in Genesis 37. And he does, in the end, have his dream fulfilled. But, gee, what a rocky start to that story. Thankfully, David didn't start his story like that. David waited on God's leading. He waited humbly. He waited faithfully. He waited to be ushered into this ceremony, to be anointed as the king of Israel by the prophet who was under God's leading. What was David doing whilst this was all unfolding? Well, he was simply tending to the sheep. He wasn't doing nothing. He wasn't waiting idle. He was doing his job. He was doing what was in his hands in that season. He was tending to the sheep. And David gives us the key to not wasting the season when he shares with us what he was actually doing during that time of tending the sheep. See, we've heard a lot about waiting. But what's that waiting supposed to look like for us? How are we supposed to wait in the season that we're in? Well, David gives us the key. And he tells us that he was out protecting the flock from the lions and the bears. He was learning the craft of hunting and fighting and defending. He would kill the lions and the bears that would rear up against him. And in that season where he was tending sheep, he was, being, he was learning and he was being prepared to do the very things that God was going to call him in to do. See, from here, David goes on and he kills Goliath. The Philistines were out to get Israel. 
And then he goes on and wins the respect of Jonathan. And then he goes on and wins the respect of all of Israel, all the people of Israel. In fact, whatever David did after this happened, he had so much success in it that Saul gave him a high, and I mean a high rank in the Israelite army. Now, David wasn't perfect. We know that he had failures. We know that he had his moments. But he took Israel from near extinction to absolute power in the Near East, in the ancient Near East. Israel grew. It grew geographically. It grew its borders. It grew richer in its assets, both its earthly assets and spiritually it grew. It grew in its fervour and its dedication and faithfulness to God. And all of this success, all of this fruitfulness, all of this came out of waiting on God's leading so that you don't waste a season. And so what might be God using in the season you're in now to prepare you for the season that is to come? What might God be using in your season now? What might be he using to prepare you in this season? for what he has you doing in the next. And so to help us understand this, give us a bit of an illustration, I think the battleground of the local beach car park helps to illustrate why waiting on God's leading ensures that the season is not wasted. Now you're going to have to work really hard to do this, but imagine with me for a moment that it's a nice, beautiful, hot summer's day. You have to work really hard. Not really. Best beach of the world is just down the hill. It's a sunny day out. And so on another day, very much like the one that we're in today, there was an unnamed husband and father. It's not me, he promised. Unnamed husband and father. He decides to, to head down to the beach and, and pack all these things and, and get the kids ready and ready to go. And just as you're heading down, imagine yourself. Actually, I think I've got a picture to help us yeah, look at that. This is going to help you tell the story. So just imagine you come around the road, you know where this spot is, you know where I'm talking about. But it's not me, you remember, it's an unnamed husband and father who's preparing his kids to go out to the beach, lovely day at the beach, meet some friends. And you round the corner, and the one thing that's stopping you from getting you know, a beautiful golden sand between toes and feet and stopping you from getting that refreshing salt water lapping over your face. There's about 20,000 cars trying to park in 50 spots. Some of you felt that. And so what did this unnamed husband and father with his four kids in tow uh, do? Well, he tried the first strategy. He tried keeping on the kids. Keep the car moving, keep looking out for spots. Oh, is that person leaving? Ah, rats up, drove past, maybe they were going, maybe they weren't. Half an hour passes by, not one single shot of a car park. Not one shot. And eventually, this dad has to park far, far away, like a nullable's drive away from the front of the beach. And pack the cool cabana onto the pram and get the beach bag and get all the towels and pull all the four kids in tow, including the 10 month old baby, down to the beach. And it takes another 20 minutes after the half an hour, over an hour was wasted using that strategy. But then, enter the second strategy you would try. A certain unnamed uh, wife and mother 
It's definitely not bad. Someone else. You think I'm talking about that? Maybe not. Had a photo shoot at the same beach that same week. She tries a second strategy. She gets out of the beach front, pulls up, sits at the front entrance of the car park, and waits. She waits. She probably kicked back to the car seat a clip or two, reclined, relaxed, maybe even had a takeaway coffee to sip on, and just waited. And not even five minutes passed, and the white reverse lights of a car just across the way flick on, backs out, and leaves, and boom, straight in. She's got a car. And so it is, as it is in that car park, is as it is in our lives. When we don't wait on God leading, we end up much further away than when God wants to have us. We end up carrying a load that's much heavier than the load that God wants us to carry. We end up outside of what it is God wants us to do outside of God's leading. But if we do wait on God's leading, then we end up right in the spot where God wants us. We end up carrying only what God desires us to carry. We end up walking in God's grace with a deep sense of God's purpose for what we're doing in this season. It was God himself who said, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if your season today is not marked by that, then I'd gently challenge, maybe, just maybe, we need to realign and wait on God's leading. God's not a God of waste. God doesn't want you to go in the wrong direction. God doesn't want you even to go as far as missing his leading completely. And God will certainly use what you are building, what you are learning and what you are struggling with in this season to equip you and empower you for the season that is to come. And here's how we know. Like David, there was another king. Like David, who was born and raised in the unimportant Bethlehem that was out of the way. Like David, who was the youngest who was seemingly insignificant and an unlikely choice to become the king of Israel, there was another king. This king was also a descendant of David. This king also came out of obscurity to rule and to reign, and this king eventually became known to us as the king of kings. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater king. Jesus' life epitomised waiting on God's leading. See, Jesus feasted as a young man, as a young boy on scripture and teaching at the temple, in the temple courts. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favour. And that season was not wasted at all. When Jesus entered into his earthly ministry, he was faced with temptation by the devil himself. And what did he do when he was faced with that temptation? He leveraged the learning and the teaching that he experienced in the previous season to be victorious in the season that God had led him into, to start his ministry with strength and favour. <clears throat> every message, every parable, every miracle that Jesus did, he waited on God's leading. He told his disciples himself, I don't do or say anything unless the Father commands me. And just as Jesus stared death in the face, when he was in that garden, sweating drops of blood. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will. 
God, not my will. I'm going to wait on your lead. And Jesus endured the cross. He overcame death and he was raised back to life so that he could be with you in this season. All of Jesus' seasons waiting on God's leading were not a waste. He had you and he had me and he had us and he had humanity in the forefront of his mind. It was you he was coming to be with in this season. And it was his love for you that drove him there. See, God's spirit is with us in every season and in this season. God never wastes a season. God guides us, encourages us, God challenges us, God heals us, and God is sufficient for us in every season and in this season you're facing now. God frees us to relax into God's grace and follow God's leading. And so how do we know what God's leading is? How do we know that we're not wasting a season? Well, God gives us this wonderful means of being able to uh, access, be able to abide in, be able to encounter him. And that is prayer. God gives us prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is encounter with God. Prayer is communing with God. And it's through prayer that we know that we are waiting on God's leading. It's through prayer that we have strength and assurance that the season we're in will not be a waste. And so here's a really concrete way that we can apply our waiting on God's leading this week. We're going to pray for 60 seconds for the next five days. Pray for 60 seconds for the next five days. Make it the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Pray for 60 seconds for the next five days. It's really simple. It's really practical. And it's so easy to do. And it doesn't matter whether you're close to God or far away from God or where you think you stand with God. Everybody is welcome into this space. Everyone can give this a try. And I would say that anyone that feels like they're far away from God, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? So let's take 60 seconds now just to give this a bit of practice. You might want to join me in a posture of prayer. You might want to close your eyes. Just allow ourselves to be still before God. And as you wake in the morning, you might open your palms and face them down. That might be a symbol that you are releasing, that you are letting go of. Anything you're holding on to that's taking a place of God. Anything that you're trying to do, any way that you're trying to control the season that you're in. You might say, God, I, I let everything go. I surrender this to you. And then you might face your palms upwards. Upwards. As a symbol. Of surrender. Of openness. Of receiving God's love and grace and you might say, God, I, I surrender to you afresh. I surrender to you again. I want to receive your love. I want to know your grace. I want you to be the centre of my life. Amen. Simple as that. Make it the first thing you do when you wake up each day. Pray for 60 seconds for the next five days. And imagine, why do we do this? Why is that a good idea? Imagine for a moment what might happen if we all did that. Imagine what might change in our worlds, in the worlds of the people around us, in our communities. What would change if everyone faithfully prayed as the first thing they did when they 
woke up in the morning. I'll tell you what will happen. We'll start to show the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our interactions with each other will be marked by those things. God's gentleness, God's patience will start to work through us as we work on those relationships that we want to restore. God will give us patience and faithfulness as we wait for that healing, as we wait for that thing to shift, as we wait on whatever it is we're hoping for. God would give us diligence to be able to work on the skill or the craft, finish the course, whatever it is, that's going to prepare you for what comes in the next season. And it's prayer that sustains us as we wait on God's leading so that we don't waste the season. It was Jesus' half-brother James who talked about perseverance, a faith being tested by perseverance. And that as perseverance doesn't work, that we are complete, that we are made whole, we are mature, and that we lack nothing. So keep persevering through prayer. Keep persisting, keep pressing into God, keep petitioning for God to do what God's going to do in this season, knowing that when you wait on God's leading, you don't waste the season. Let's respond in worship together.